worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. U.S. states are all reopening in some fashion this week. How AI-powered biotech can speed up the vaccine development process. And COVID-19 patients are running their own surveys to show the true effects of the disease. Plus, a live stream from Stonehenge, Chuck E. Cheese's new front, and a British man who has turned 100, gotten a book deal, topped the music charts, and been knighted all in the past two months. All 50 U.S. states have reopened, at least in some capacity, though exactly how varies greatly from state to state, with some only reopening certain businesses in certain areas and others, like Alaska, promising by the end of the week it will be, quote, just like it was prior to the virus, according to Governor Dunleavy. Writer Paul Krugman shared some stats from reservation site OpenTable on Twitter. OpenTable has a full data set that they're keeping updated daily based on information from restaurants around the nation. That's very fascinating to dig through, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But Krugman was looking specifically at the percent change in reservations for this year compared to last. And he said, quote, It suggests that even in states that have reopened, people are staying home. A couple implications. On one side, surge in new infections may be smaller than feared, because people aren't changing behavior that much. On the other, economic bounce back may be muted for the same reason. I do wonder, though, whether online restaurant reservations are a high SES thing, socioeconomic status, and may not reflect how many people crowd beaches, and so on, i.e. we might get a surge in contagion risks without much economic activity. Worst of both worlds. Pure speculation, of course. End quote. Natural disasters are adding a new challenge to the pandemic. A cyclone off India's coast has pushed three million people into shelters in India and Bangladesh. Attempts are being made to limit the shelters to half capacity in accordance with social distancing measures. Meanwhile, two dams failed in Michigan on the eve of a record flooding. Governor Whitmore says the city of Midland could see up to nine feet of water and force the evacuation of 10,000 people. The situation in Brazil continues to worsen. They reported their deadliest day yet yesterday and are now experiencing the third largest outbreak in the world, just behind the U.S. and Russia. U.S. airlines are starting to see an uptick in demand. Southwest says new bookings are outpacing cancellations, and American Airlines says that planes are flying 35% full, up from 15% in April. It's still a long road ahead, though. The number of people passing through security checkpoints at U.S. airports is down 92% from this same time last year. And if you've been frustrated by not being able to unlock your phone with Face ID while wearing a mask, Chinese tech company Huami might have the solution in their new transparent N95-like face mask, the Airy. 
which comes complete with self-cleaning and anti-fog features. The Airy is currently being prototyped, but the company, known for its AmazeFit line of wearables, thinks it could be on the market in six months to a year and fall somewhere around an $80 price point. As we've been covering on this podcast, the race to a vaccine is on an undetermined timeline. There are a multitude of factors that put the turnaround time in question, but prime among them are the billions of possibilities that have to be sifted through to discover the right set of molecules and the reality of just how long clinical trials take. Legendary inventor Ray Kurzweil has an idea to shorten the timeline. Artificial intelligence. Writing in Wired, Kurzweil points out that human trials can be imperfect, time-consuming, and expensive. Quote, A human doctor may come up with a few dozen drugs that may treat a disease. The actual number of theoretical drug possibilities is in the trillions. The current method for testing these few treatments is to organize a few hundred human subjects and then test them over about a year and a half, at the cost of hundreds of millions of dollars. Very often, the first several solutions tested on humans are not ideal, and lead to other solutions that also take a few years to develop and test. We are literally stuck watching people succumb to a disease for years while only a few possible solutions are tested. Not much can be advanced until those results are available. Kurzweil continues, quote, AI simulations have the potential to test all of the trillions of possibilities with tens of thousands of simulated patients for a simulated period of years and do all of this in a matter of hours or days, end quote. A biology simulator using AI helped scientists in Australia create a turbocharged flu vaccine last year, and Argonne National Laboratory has been using a supercomputer to narrow down the candidates for antiviral drugs to treat COVID-19. Kurzweil believes that by the end of the decade, we'll have effective enough models and simulations to do away with the need for human trials altogether. But in the meantime, he says more labs need to be using AI technology to simulate the trillions of possibilities and, for the time being at least, follow that up with human trials of the most promising ones. With so much still unknown about COVID-19 and so many people recovering at home away from the monitor of a doctor or research team, many people are turning to online support groups made up of other COVID-19 patients to find and share information. Several of these groups don't exist merely to provide emotional support, however. Some of them have started to archive stories, organize large-scale surveys, and collect data on the real-life experiences of having COVID-19. One of their primary discoveries? COVID-19 drags on for much longer than the two weeks that guidelines allege for mild cases. Survey responses from more than 640 patients organized by the Body Politic Support Group showed an average of 40 days for recovery. That's 4-0. Though it is worth noting that this is an informal study, not one that has been peer-reviewed, and the respondents are mostly white women, and there also may be a bias towards people with longer recovery times seeking out support groups like Body Politic. Research papers are beginning to emerge that back up this finding, however, and patient anecdotes about extended, nonlinear recoveries have proliferated far beyond this one survey. Quoting Elemental, a medium publication on health and wellness, 
Recently, King's College London and Massachusetts General Hospital partnered with the nutritional startup Zoe on a COVID symptom study app. There, more than 3 million respondents are contributing daily geolocated updates on their health, including some of the most recent additions to the growing list of COVID side effects, like loss of smell or taste and foot sores. Their data has already supplied intriguing evidence for a genetic component to people's coronavirus symptoms. It also suggests that at least 200,000 of their study participants have had symptoms for six weeks, end quote. While that data is just preliminary and we can't take anything totally for certain yet, members of groups like Body Politic emphasize how important it is that healthcare providers and the general public are made aware of any symptoms and long-term effects that we're starting to see emerge. Because, as Diana Berent, the founder of the Survivor Corps Facebook group, says, quote, "...the things that were sort of being dismissed out of hand a month ago are now being validated." And doctors agree there is so much we're still learning. And while the medical world focuses on survival first, it will take some time for us to answer a lot of the unknowns. Paul Garner, a professor at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, told The Guardian, quote, This is a novel disease and an outrageous one. The textbooks haven't been written. End quote. If you're bummed about any travel plans you had this summer being canceled, mark your calendars for a virtual trip to cross off your bucket list on June 21st. For the first time ever, Stonehenge will be live-streaming Sunrise and Sunset on the summer solstice so people around the world can witness the spectacle. Quoting Mental Floss, The first day of summer is a very important occasion at Stonehenge. When the sun appears over the horizon on the solstice, it appears to line up perfectly with the massive stone structure. This has led some to believe that Stonehenge played an important role in Druid solstice celebrations when it was erected between 3,500 and 5,000 years ago. End quote. Thousands of people make the trip to Stonehenge for the event every year, so to make up for that and to encourage people to stay home, English Heritage, the organization that manages the landmark, will be streaming the solstice on their Facebook page. The sun will rise at approximately 4.52 a.m. British summertime on June 21st and set at about 9.26 p.m. British summertime. So here in New York, we'd be watching the sunrise just before midnight on the 20th, Check your time zone and bookmark the link in the show notes, which links to the English Heritage's Facebook page, where it will be streamed. Early on in the lockdown on my daily walks, I had a kind of somber fascination with reading all of the handmade signs that various businesses had posted in their windows before shutting down. I live in a very Irish neighborhood, and with all the bars being ordered to close the day before their biggest night of the year, a lot of them still had St. Patrick's Day decorations hanging dusty and sun-bleached in the windows. One sign that really got me right at the start, though, was one scrawled in Sharpie on a piece of printer paper taped outside Chuck E. Cheese that said they were delivering pizzas, just call to order. Well, it turns out that enterprise got a bit more formalized as the weeks went on. Chuck E. Cheese officially listed themselves on Grubhub for pizza delivery, but when they maybe weren't getting enough business, because who really goes to Chuck E. Cheese just for the pizza and not for the arcade, they rebranded as Pasquale's Pizza and Wings. 
A Chuck E. Cheese spokesperson told Food & Wine, quote, CEC Entertainment Inc. recently launched Pasquale's Pizza & Wings nationwide. The inspiration was rooted in the desire to create a premium pizza while staying true to the CEC brand. Pasquale's Pizza & Wings, named after another favorite member of Munch's make-believe band, shares kitchen space with the Chuck E. Cheese restaurant, ensuring high-quality, fresh ingredients. Pasquale's Pizza and Wings recipes use fresh homemade pizza dough just like Chuck E. Cheese, but it is a different pizza that features a thicker crust and extra sauce, giving consumers a more flavorful, more premium pizza experience. While Pasquale's Pizza and Wings recipes are currently only available for delivery, select items might be added to the Chuck E. Cheese menu in the future. End quote. And while this type of rebrand isn't that uncommon, a Reddit user quoted by Food & Wine says it's called a, quote, virtual kitchen, usually used for places that want to try to have a different concept to create more income, but it's delivery only, end quote. But what is uncommon is for a restaurant chain to have an entire extended universe. When the news of Pasquale's broke this week, when a Reddit user ordered it thinking they were supporting a local pizzeria and then discovered it was in fact Chuck E. Cheese, Vivian Kane over at the Mary Sue uncovered the original backstory to the character of Chuck E. Cheese, which then led me down the rabbit hole of the Chuck E. Cheese fandom wiki. Yes, there's an entire wikia for the Chuck E. Cheese characters. So this Pasquale character, in addition to being the drummer of the animatronic band, was a chef who basically had a ratatouille situation with young Chuck Entertainment Cheese, who, turns out, was an orphaned mouse from the St. Marinara Orphanage who never knew his own birthday and therefore never had a birthday party. At some point in his life, Chuck won $50 in a Pong competition and used it to move to New York City, where he ended up at Pasquale's family restaurant. When he discovered him, Pasquale was going to off the mouse when at the last minute he heard him sing and decided to set him up with an open mic night at the restaurant. At first, Chuck froze with stage fright, but then upon seeing a kid celebrating his birthday with his family out in the restaurant, Chuck E. Cheese was compelled by the all-consuming force of birthday magic, and the rest is history. There is so much more that you can read about all of the characters on the wiki if you really want to, but here's a few additional out-of-universe facts about the Chuck E. Cheese restaurant that you can mull over while you enjoy some Pasquale's pizza later. So Chuck E. Cheese was founded in 1977 as Pizza Time Theater by Atari co-founder Noah Bushnell, who wanted to make a more kid-friendly space for arcade games. Chuck and the rest of the characters have been through several rebrands over the years, and when Chuck E. Cheese himself got an updated look in 2012, they replaced the old voice actor Duncan Brannon with Jarrett Reddick from Bowling for Soup, who, I also learned for the first time today, was born in my hometown. And I don't think I'm ever going to be able to hear 1985 again without imagining Chuck E. Cheese singing it. Also, apparently, Chuck E. Cheese doesn't have the animatronics at all anymore. They got rid of them nationwide in 2017 along with the tokens. Now they just have a big interactive dance floor and modernized play passes for the games. And one last note on Pasquale's in case you do actually want to try ordering from them. First, it's spelled P-A-S-Q-U-A-L-L-Y-S. And I did successfully find it on Grubhub and Seamless listed as a restaurant, but it doesn't seem to be available everywhere a Chuck E. Cheese is. It's just in some towns, so your mileage may vary. 
And ending today with some genuinely uplifting news. Back towards the start of social distancing measures in the United Kingdom, 99-year-old World War II veteran Captain Tom Moore was challenged by his son-in-law to walk 100 laps around his garden before his 100th birthday at the end of April. Upping the ante, Moore's daughter decided to turn the challenge into a fundraising opportunity and launched a Just Giving campaign with a goal of £1,000 for the National Health Service, the UK's public health care system. The challenge got the attention of the international media, and before long, the fundraiser had ballooned to £32 million, or about $40 million, and Captain Tom Moore became a symbol of hope and resiliency across all of Britain. Off the back of the successful fundraiser, he signed two book deals, one a memoir of his time in service during World War II and another a children's book. He also recorded a cover of You'll Never Walk Alone alongside singer Michael Ball and a choir of NHS workers, which skyrocketed to number one in the English charts. On his 100th birthday at the end of April, he was given the honorary title of colonel and received over 200,000 cards and over 5,000 gifts from around the country. And just yesterday, he was told that he will be awarded a knighthood by the Queen. The proceeds from the books and song will go to the newly established Captain Tom Moore Foundation to, quote, support efforts to treat loneliness and bereavement, as well as relief efforts for the pandemic outside Britain. And the money from the initial fundraiser is already in use by the NHS, in part to create therapeutic facilities for healthcare workers. So well done, Captain Sir Tom Moore. That is all for today. As always, this show is produced by Ride Home Media, the daily news podcast people. I'm Jackson Bird, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. 